Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This season of Strong Opinions Loosely Held is brought to you by Lean Cuisine. I've got a lot of opinions, and here's one. Sesame is everything especially the sesame chicken from Lean Cuisine's Marketplace line, which is made with the kind of ingredients that I like to keep in my own kitchen. Natural chicken, no artificial colors, flavors, or preservatives. Visit leancuisine.com backslash refinery29 for a coupon code. And feed your phenomenal with Lean Cuisine. From Refinery29, this is Strong Opinions Loosely Held. I'm Elisa Kreisinger. Historically, women and teenage girls have set trends. From the Beatles. I love them. I don't care what anybody thinks. I love the Beatles for them, and I'll always love them. Even when I'm 105 and old. To Twilight. To Instagram and Snapchat. Young women are ahead of the curve. If you want to know what'll be popular, just ask a teenage girl what she's listening to, what app she's using, and what books and movies she likes. But despite teenage girls' ability to create and predict cultural value, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone who actually takes them seriously. That's why a recent interview with Harry Styles in Rolling Stone made the rounds. It finally acknowledged the power of female fandom. To quote author Cameron Crowe, Styles is aware that his largest audience so far has been young, often teenage women. Asked if he spends pressure-filled evenings worried about proving credibility to an older crowd, Styles grows animated. Who's to say that young girls who like pop music, short for popular, right, have worse musical taste than a 30-year-old hipster guy? That's not up to you to say. Music is something that's always changing. There's no goalposts. Young women like the Beatles, you're going to tell me they're not serious? How can you say young girls don't get it? They're our future. Our future doctors, lawyers, mothers, presidents. They kind of keep the world going. Teenage girl fans, they don't lie. If they like you, they're there. They don't act too cool. They like you, and they tell you, which is sick. Who knew Harry Styles had an opinion on feminism and was right about it? Styles' acknowledgement of teenage girls seems subversive because we usually discount young girls as hysterical fans whose interests are cute and hopefully fading. That is, until those interests, musical tastes, apps, or vocal patterns are adopted by mainstream culture. And then they're suddenly substantial, not just cute. How is it that young women can have such great success in predicting and creating cultural trends and yet be so easily dismissed? Girls have a pretty good track record. You see these women being early adopters of, of things that were considered to be bad, strange, you know, somehow degraded, but actually were 
signifying the new. That's Francesca Coppa. She's dedicated her career to making the fan labor of mostly young women visible. My name is Francesca Coppa, and I'm a professor of English and film at Muhlenberg College. And I am also one of the founders of something called the Organization for Transformative Works, which is a nonprofit that seeks to advocate for and promote fan culture in various forms. And that tends to be a culture that is made for and by women, people of color, and people who are queer. Francesca opened my eyes to the fact that women have been at the forefront of every cultural product. That's not even an exaggeration. Theater, film, novels, TV. Yep, women, women, women. What have teenage girls been ahead of the curve on? Everything. So many things. Women in the late 19th century got to go to matinees. It was one of the appropriate times where women could go to the theater sort of by themselves. And a lot of women took advantage of this to go see plays that were about women. Ibsen's plays, Hedda Gobbler and and A Dollhouse, which we know as feminist plays. And this totally freaked out male theater critics because they would say that like the balconies were full of women and and there's a lot of threat about young women at the matinees. And, And they were already being told that they were doing it wrong, by the way, too. They were coming for the wrong reasons. They liked the actors and not the plays. They they didn't appreciate, you know, theater the way men were supposed to appreciate theater. Of course, Ibsen is now regarded as the father of of modern drama. These are classic plays and classic roles that are taught. But the way in which women help to break the phenomenon of modern drama is unappreciated in a certain way. And you see it in early film. I mean, Mary Pickford founded United Artists. There were all of these women writers and directors for film, early film, back in the days when film was not considered to be that important. It was not a great art form. In fact, you see women makers of all kinds in almost all cultural forms before they become really commercial. You see it in the novel. I mean, women invented the novel. The novel was not considered to be a serious book, but the novel was a female art form. And there were explicit dangers about, you know, novel reading and women's overinvestment in novel reading and how novels made women too emotional. And women were the writers of those novels and the consumers of those novels. Um, so and in women the same way make of film. Stuff. Oh, yeah. And invent stuff. And then they consume it. Correct. And then they're fans of that. Correct. They're fans of the, the making and the consumption. Correct. And then it becomes mainstream. Right. Or ma- or- and they get thrown out. And they get pushed out. And, and the serious artists arrive, Elisa. The men arrive. Um, in the case of the novel, um, it, it's Richardson and Fielding, right, come in and all of a sudden make the novel a serious art form. And you get male directors pushing out women directors in early cinema. And in television, well, women invented the soap opera and wrote it and directed it and starred in it. But then, like, the serious TV auteurs have arrived, right? I mean, the Aaron Sorkins and the J.J. Abramses come and make what are essentially soap operas, has some resemblance to the soap operas as women invented, directed, and wrote them. You know, yesterday's boy band is today's Beatles. The Beatles were just a boy band who appealed to women and not considered to be terribly good. You look at Sinatra's early audiences. I mean, I'm just saying, you can go and see the footage, right? Sinatra was considered to be a kind of cheap heartthrob, you know, um, and obviously there's a way in which, you know, but teenage girls kind of liked him first in this sort of obvious way, the Beatles sort of obviously. And you just see it over and over. Bowie, I mean, you know, who were Bowie's fans at first? It will not surprise you to know they were one of teenage girls. Girls have a pretty good track record. How are they so ahead of the curve? How are they so good at predicting trends? Or they just know good shit when they see it? Yeah, and um, women are pretty good networkers. And we like to do things together. And so we convert each other to things. If we find something, we tell people we want to do things in groups. I mean, social media. It's probably women in whatever community who are doing most of the social networking, Mm -hmm. right? And so why should we be surprised that social networking today, that there are so many women? We share the characteristics of early adopters that information flows through those channels really well. 
Okay, so this makes me really mad. If we have such a great track record of predicting success, we're great at connecting and making things popular, I gotta ask, why are the things that we like written off as frivolous or trendy or overly emotional? Sexism (laughs) Uh, is almost always the, the, the answer. It is in power's interest to keep the stock low until it's high. The key thing is that teenage girls make popular culture interesting. Like you kind of love a thing into life, right, into greatness. And, uh, and women do a lot of that work. I mean, women made the Beatles more interesting than they were. We came here, we came here at 6 o'clock in the morning, 5 30 to see them, and all they do is push you farther and farther away. And then they don't even let you see them. You've been here since 6? Yes. Have you ever been this crazy about any other entertainer? No. And that's what's so amazing. We don't know why we're like this. But the investment, the the love, the interest makes the thing better than it is, right? So then why then is the teenage girl not not understood to be collaborating with the culture? When she clearly is, the girl who is enjoying pop culture is really telling the maker how to understand what they've made. Right? What's interesting about it? But women don't get credit for it. Do you see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? How do you put the, the sense that you're doing too much, you're overinvested, with that sense that you're somehow also passive? You know, how do you put that together? Okay, so quick story here. Back in 2010, I was at a conference about tech and cultural trends. The keynote was from an academic who had spent a lot of time studying teenage girls' behavior online. I was seated in the front row, and this guy sitting next to me asked me for my predictions on what I thought would be the next big thing. I said, if you want to know what will be popular, talk to a teenage girl. He was not happy with that response. He wanted data. He wanted the name of startups, apps, platforms. He wanted programmers and hoodies. And what he got was teenage girls. And he was like, I have a teenage daughter. She's not, she's not ahead of anything. Teenage girls, really? Women are supposed to be protected. So how can they, how can they be trendsetters? How can they know about the thing that I can't, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of anxiety about kids and women in particular maybe knowing about a thing that you don't know. But to sort of say, well, actually, my daughter, you know, can reprogram, you know, my computer. My daughter was on Twitter before anybody was. My daughter is talking to people in other countries via social media mm-hmm. and is actually much more aware of things than I am. You know, there's an anxiety around that. We're much more worried about girls. What smart makers are starting to realize is that that teenage girls are amazing partners. To figure out how to get teenage girls to partner with you creatively is how to make a lot of money. It probably goes without saying at this point that young women aren't the ones seeing the money. The young black girl who coined on fleet, she doesn't see any career come out of this. I'm Amanda Hess, and I'm a David Carr fellow at the New York Times, where I write mostly about internet culture. If you don't know the story behind on fleet, it's a fascinating one. Kayla Newman started a Vine account at 16. She published short videos of her mundane high school life under the name Peaches Monroe. According to Fader, she added the extra E because it looked playful. On June 21, 2014, Kayla published a video that would become a global phenomenon. She was sitting in the passenger seat of her mom's car, and the seatbelt alert was going off. We in this beach, finna get crunk, abraz on fleek, the buck. The video goes viral. Ariana Grande sings a rendition of it in August 2014. Who in this beach? And then it goes through the endless loop of social media. 
IHOP uses it to sell pancakes on fleek. Jenny's uses it to promote its hash browns, also on fleek. Taco Bell tweets that it too is on fleek. Nicki Minaj and Kim Kardashian West follow. Everyone is on fleek, except for this poor girl's bank account. It started as a simple phrase from a teenager admiring her eyebrows in Fayetteville, Georgia, and it became a word so popular that Merriam-Webster had it on their words we're watching list. And so this was a piece of cultural currency that all of these powerful people used to sort of signal that they were early adopters with it or that they understood black culture or understood what was cool on the internet to the point where brands were advertising themselves with it. And the girl, the young black girl who coined it, she doesn't see any career come out of this. She doesn't see a cent. Kayla told Fader, I gave the world a word. I cannot explain the feeling. At the moment, I haven't gotten any endorsements or received any payment. I feel like I should be compensated, but I also feel like good things happen to those who wait. Kayla has since created a GoFundMe page to launch a Peaches Cosmetics and Hairline. She's raised $16,000 so far. You know, there's no system set up to monetize something like that, but it's clearly very valuable to a lot of people. If you were a forward-thinking person who worked for any kind of media company, you might say, this girl clearly knows what she's doing and is in touch with the culture. Perhaps there is a job for her. Teenage girls, they're part of this cultural processing. If the culture is eddying out among teenage girls, they turn it into their own thing. And then as it evolves, it can go on and become something that is acceptable to adults. Young people in general have the time and the inclination to do something that older people can't, which is to amass cultural capital. And younger people, you know, they don't have any power. They're not even independent as citizens. They can't vote. They don't have any money. But they can create culture or engage with culture. And I think that's one reason that they end up being such enormous drivers of it. It's like the one realm that they can find power and influence in. Is there a downside to mainstream embracing trends, vocal patterns, music, apps that teenage girls use without acknowledging that it came from that community? Tech and culture are becoming indistinguishable. The New York Times, I should note, like just joined Snapchat Discover a few weeks ago. So there was fear mongering about it being a sexting app for teenagers. And that's, you know, whenever there's a moral panic about sex in teenagers, it's usually focused on the girls. And now it's this very mainstream product that has a lot of money behind it. Seeing a teenage girl as a legitimate consumer is not necessarily the same thing as, like, respecting her as an individual or as a person, but about a fast and easy way to make more money. And, I mean, obviously sometimes they'll just reject it and it won't become popular, but often what they'll do is take it. You know, we all live in a capitalist society, and so we work with what we have. And so they will take these things and sort of make them their own. The problem is the things that they make are often then owned by the companies where they're made. The girls are bringing all of this traffic and money to them, 
and they're not getting anything in return. You know, if they're using Facebook or Twitter or whatever or Instagram, they are paying these companies with their privacy and their data, which the companies are then using to market back to them. And they're not getting paid anything, but their images and creative innovations on those apps are what keep them alive and what people come for. So you're seeing a lot of people, whether they're journalists or influencers, who are reaching a huge amount of people more than they ever would before, but are being paid less for it. Even if we found some way to live in a completely gender and race enlightened world, that capitalism is a force for categorizing people and dividing them into consumer groups and pushing new stuff on them and, you know, trying to do away with the old or make it seem irrelevant so that you need to buy or invest in new things. That's something that is always going to be working at crosshairs with sort of discussions of, of social realities for young women. Ever since, like, the, the category of teenagers was created to sell stuff to them, there has been this consumerist power that teen girls have that's been really complicated because it means that adults are selling things to them. Things that were being sold to teenage girls were not necessarily respecting them as people. Young girls especially can be very threatening to older people. <laughs> Seeing like a very culturally relevant young person is like a reminder of we are quickly going to become irrelevant and then we're going to die. But also I think for young girls, we tend to see them more as a sociological phenomenon as opposed to like a group of like very in touch, like canny, smart people. So the idea that young women are first, you know, as teenagers, they're first beginning to like explore and express sexuality. We turn that into a joke. I think, in order to disarm it. So the idea of girls like having less, whether it's for the Beatles or One Direction or Robert Pattinson as a vampire is, you know, becomes funny to us. And that is a way of uh, taking away its power. People are fascinated by teenage girls, sometimes in a way that is not very comfortable to me. Teen girls, because they're women and because they are young, they are experiencing these two types of objectification. And they're kind of at the height of, I think, both sexual objectification and fear about their own sexuality. You know, if you're a girl who doesn't have a lot of voice in the culture and the mainstream media, this is a way that you can exert power. So what happens when we get pop culture that speaks to us directly and depicts our own power? Watching the reaction to the Wonder Woman movie that just came out, even well-meaning male critics, they are a little shocked that the movie is not talking explicitly and only to them. A friend of mine went with her son, and her son afterwards was like, yeah, I like the Wonder Woman movie, but wasn't it a little pandering? And I thought afterwards, I was like, no, that's not pandering, sweetheart. That's people not only talking to you. Pandering is when you say that 14-year-old Spider-Man from Queens is the most important kid in the world, that Harry Potter, 11 years old, who doesn't really study and is not particularly special, is the person who's going to save the world. If you want to talk about pandering, pandering is your whole life spent with protagonists who are not even particularly special, but in any particular way. 
Wonder Woman is not only an actual demigoddess, but we actually see her training and preparing for this role for, you know, her whole adult life. Yeah, she's put the work in. She's actually put the work in. I mean, Harry Potter basically kind of shows up. Like, Luke also sort of shows up and somebody hands him a lightsaber. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's no there's no training montage. Like, there's not, I've been on horseback since I was five years old, you know, preparing for this fight, right? And so, you know, when you say it's pandering, like, yeah, there were a couple of girl power moments, but I sort of feel like your your whole life has been one boy power moment. Like, you you don't even, you don't recognize it's pandering because it's just what it is. Right. People would, would prefer women to, to, to be not in public. Yeah. Right. And not taking up that kind of space. Right. And part of this is a kind of marginalization. One of the things that was threatening to people about Beatlemania was that you had all of these women on the streets, like being held back by police, you know, and they weren't there to protest. But if you just took a quick snapshot, you wouldn't know that. Beatlemania was really like 1963. Right, like we knew how to do this for the Beatles. We can do it again for something more We can more do it important. for us, right, yep. exactly. And I was, if you can come out in public and fill a stadium, maybe we can come out and fill the streets in Washington, you know, to do this or that or the other thing. I do think that, that ultimately what you really want is to actually have women kind of getting coming out using this kind of power that we use to, to promote Ariana Grande or the Beatles could be used for something else. And for the guy sitting next to me at that conference, here's a list of a few of the next big things straight from the source. Actually, all the One Direction people are like going solo, so they're all kind of getting big right now. Harry Styles is blowing up because after One Direction, he's like, he like did a movie and now he's doing his own music. Yeah, the new movies are really cool, like Wonder Woman. I feel like clothes, like a lot of the older stuff is coming back, yeah, like really. scrunchies and like stuff like that. It's just good taste, you know, like better taste than men (laughs) personally I think women just have that sense I mean they they just know fangirls are like the most powerful people in the in the world so they're like extremists almost but like not in a bad way they just like really like something and they'll go with it so get to figure out the next big thing and you get to make it come true because you like it so much I mean it's really awesome yeah do you guys think the fidget spinner thing is gonna gonna end hopefully yeah I hope so Francesca and Amanda both had strong opinions about teenage girls, and now I want to hear yours. What do you think of teenage girls and their uncanny ability to make pop culture? Tweet me at popcultpirate or tag me in your posts on Instagram using at popculturepirate. I can't wait to hear your stories. Did you predict shit when you were a teenager that's huge now? Let me know. We'll be back next week with another episode, but in the meantime, check out our video channel based on this podcast at facebook.com slash held. And please subscribe to Strong Opinions Loosely Held wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're on iTunes, we could really use some new ratings and comments. This episode was produced by Sarah Bernard and edited by me, Elisa Kreisinger, with help from Daniel Huerta and Carrie Ann Thomas for Refinery29. Special thanks to Kat Maldina for her research help, and we recorded with Paul Ruest. We'll see you back here next Monday. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.